Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association, now on Spotify. This is our 60-somethingth episode and our first repeat guest. As you know, I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. And we have, because it was part of our plan from the beginning, was to get as many community leaders, city managers, county administrators, deputy city managers, et cetera, uh, on the system, special guests, et cetera, and you've been listening, so you know that. And then we said, you know, it would be cool after a period of time, we would come back and re-interview folks, kind of do a little catch-up, what's been going on. And today is our first repeat with city manager of the city of Tallahassee, Reese Code. Reese, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. Look forward to the conversation. So last time we spoke, you were guest number eight. Hard to believe, wasn't it? Uh, we're now, I think we're at 64 or 65, 62, I'm being told, 62, guest number 62, and uh, or episode number 62, and we were in the middle of COVID. You were dealing with um, uh, all kinds of issues related to masking, uh, stay-at-home policies, work-at-home policies, uh, how to distribute different funding, working with the county. Thank God, you know, I, Reese, I, listen, I re-listened to it this morning. One of the things I, I really felt good when I listened to is I remember Leon County, county one municipality, and the county and the city used to always be at war. And the relationship has become so positive and so strong between you and county administrator, what's his name? Um, we'll just refer to him as what's his <laughs> name through the whole podcast, Vince Long. Uh, also known to the kids back up in Brooklyn as Vinny, uh, that we were able to make fun of him on the show. Remember, we were talking about who's the better looking oh, one. I remember. And that would have never been allowable 10 years ago because the county administrator, city manager were not on really good terms. The city was warring with the county. It's nice to see how well you guys work together. It, we really do work together. Not to confuse that with that we agree all the time, because, of course, we don't. Uh, there are things that um, uh, we may approach differently or may, may affect uh, Leon County different than the city of Tallahassee, but we, we collaborate extremely well. Uh, we know we work for one community, uh, Leon County, Tallahassee, and and we we serve the citizens of the the county, and and we do enjoy a good positive relationship. It it paid um, great dividends during the pandemic. Uh, we know just the flow of funds uh, uh, came down from the federal government through the state government into the counties, and not necessarily to the municipalities. Right. And so. Uh, there had to be good collaboration to make sure we were meeting the financial needs of our community as well as the, the health uh, yeah, needs. Yeah, so there was none of the, we're going to just give vaccinations to the non-city county residents, which used to happen. There was issues where, no, 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 we're only going to provide this to the county residents. You guys take care of the city. It, that was seamless. It, it was seamless, and, and you know, um, it's it's... Sometimes easier said than done, but I will tell you we enjoy a good relationship and, it, and it's work for our citizens. Um, and, and so I'm glad you brought that up because oftentimes Vince and I will banter a little bit. Uh, he, he's the better looking, though, right? I think we've, uh, I think we, we've, we've accepted that, that. Absolutely. At least in his mind. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it is a great relationship. It's a unique one, one city to one uh, county. But we enjoy that. And, and we've built on that and built bridges with our uh, universities, too. And because, mm -hmm. you know, collectively, we're a better 
uh, when we're working together. Well, and, and you know what's interesting about it, too, is that doesn't mean there's not a little bit of the, hey, the county's doing this. We got it because there was a movement in Leon County for a while to consolidate both. I was like one of the lone voices against it. And I was very, you know, it's one of those, you have an argument and nobody listens to it anyway. But I, I was amazed by the persuasiveness of the argument. And here's what it was. Guys, we want government to run like a business. One of the things that drives business is competition. And if you, get, if you consolidate them, you're, it's a one-stop shop, one place, nowhere else to go. Nobody, I promise you that the county administrator looks across the street and can literally look across the street and see City Hall and say, I want to do it better than they do. And you guys do the same thing. While it's cooperative, you don't always agree, there is still that little edge. We want to make sure we do it a little better than those guys. No doubt about it. Yeah. No and doubt it's, and it's about a fun, it. positive competition. Uh, and voters, what also is interesting about it is people who live in a community, and we have one of those areas where you can choose very easily to live in the county or the city. And, and you know, there's even parts, in fact, where I currently live, it actually carves out the city. People to the north of me, to the west of me, to the east of me all live in the uh, city, but my little neighborhood's still in the county. And so you have a choice. And by having that competition, whether it's garbage service, electric, whatever those things are, uh, people get to choose where they want to be. They do. And it's pretty seamless. So you can live in, in a neighborhood that you've described and you probably don't even realize that you're not in the city because it's a high level of service. You're right. There's a lot of competition. Let's do a good job. We don't want to be outdone, you know, whether it's the county or the city. Uh, and that's good. That's good for all of us. Well, and and, and I, I didn't want to start with it, but I, I will lead into this. And the, the big fight back 15 years ago was 911, which was who responds. And there was a lot of infighting between the, the sheriff and the police and who responds what. And if somebody crosses out of the county, does they, they continue to pursue? And it took some time, but they ended up coming up with agreements. And now we have a consolidated dispatch. That's right. We, yeah. It, yeah, I'd like to talk about that. I believe we're in our eighth year with the consolidated dispatch. It, you know, time flies, but it's still in the life cycle of things is in its early days. It's still maturing and we're still realizing the benefits of that consolidated agency. The, the county administrator, myself and the sheriff, we uh, make up the board that oversees the uh, consolidated dispatch. So it, it puts us, you know, in the same, um, um, you know, decision-making mode. We understand the pressures, but the benefits as well. We have an excellent director in place uh, and, 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 you know, it works great. Um, it's something that, um, uh, that is helping me today. We've got a new program. I'd love to talk about it at the right time in this podcast, uh, dealing with mental health, because we know oftentimes um, someone in a mental health crisis may need the help. They dial 911, whether it's a crime being committed or a mental health crisis. That's right. Yes, that's right. So their loved Before ones, their people, they, they call 911 in the, the CDA is that first clearinghouse. And so that, uh, the creation of that has helped a lot. But um, uh, a, a great program that's built on a foundation that started with the uh, uh, the jointness, the consolidation so of our it, dispatch. So there's two parts there. One was the consolidation, the way it was done, because there was legitimate concerns about having one county, one city, and duplication of services. And somewhere along the line, I think uh, one of your predecessors, Anita Favors-Thompson, I remember talking with her about what she called functional consolidation. You know, the parks department, there's no sense in having two parks departments when we'll run 
The city will run the operations in the county parks, and the counties have their land, but we run them. Uh, so you, we started with functional consolidation, took away the need, essentially, to consolidate, right? Because the county has jobs that you guys don't do. You run the supervisor of elections, blah, 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 blah. And so what you're saying is from that consolidation of the, you call it the CDA, Consolidated Dispatch, Joint Dispatch Agency, right, that something new popped out of that. Let's, let's deep dive onto that because it's really cool, and it's the kind of thing that I love on this podcast that other city managers, other county administrators should hear and learn about. So go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and I'll back up just a minute because I want to set the frame. You know, Steve, you talked about functional consolidation. It was a term that, that was used internally. It's very in, intuitive in, in, in nature, and, in, in, and you can only achieve that being, by being open-minded to, you know, what works and why should we put certain things together? And so great experience. We've got the the uh, the uh, Consolidated Dispatch Agency. That was with the county, the sheriff's office. But that, that same premise holds true within your uh, city. In my case, I'm a city manager and I have two dozen departments that provide, you know, just an array of services. Oftentimes, those individual departments can stand on their own. They're big enough to stand on their own to be, you know, independent agencies, if you will. But what we have found through exercises like consolidated, I'm sorry, a functional consolidation, or even other exercises we've, we've tested within the city of Tallahassee, when departments work together, when we take the skill sets and the expertise of the members of the various departments, whether they have a natural relationship or not, we can do more. We can reach a higher uh, capacity. And in fact, what we know, and I know all of my peer city managers and county administrators know this, is things are not static. What we do today has to evolve and shift because the needs of your community changes. Mental health is a big issue, and th- so I want to get to yeah, we to do. This you know, you, you just announced a major expansion at the airport, right? A, and, and, and the airport's been a thorn in everybody's side because. For a variety of reasons, Tallahassee is smaller than people think it is, and with state employees not allowed to travel in nearby cities, et cetera, prices are high because the airlines don't really make any money coming in and out of Tallahassee. And so with all this extra land, I bet that all, you didn't silo the airport authority, your economic development arms, and other folks said, hey, there's something else we can do here. You guys just had a huge announcement out there. Oh, it was a great announcement. And, Steve, you could take me down a lot of different I know, paths I know. on this. This I mean, is the four-hour episode yeah, this of the is, FCC. This is great. We, we just broke ground on an international processing facility, a customs facility. Uh, we were designated an international airport um, a numerous years ago with a vision, and most people say, hey, you know, when am we I flying? We don't have international to, flights. We're, we're not flying plan. internationally. We're not going to Europe tomorrow, and of course we're not going to, to Europe tomorrow. We, we're, we're on the precipice of having a million passengers a year at our airport. That's good. That's sizable, but that, that is very small in comparison to the Orlando airport or the Miami airport or, you know, these, these major uh, hubs that are going to take you internationally. It opens the door, but you know what it does? It unlocks the door for trade. It unlocks the door for me to host uh, uh, industry, uh, l- whether it's logistical or whether it's within the, um, uh, the airline industry, the people that need access to airports, they need access to runways, and it helps your economy grow. The airport is an economic tool. And so we did just have that um, announcement. And what we know is it took many departments to bring that about, not just the airport, not just my communications department, 
But even at the event, we had our uh, electric uh, utility director there, our customer operations director there, uh, all of the peers that our airport director, David Pollard, who is an excellent airport director, works with every day. And he derives, uh, even if it's just uh, sharing of knowledge, but oftentimes it's the support that he may get from these um, um, individuals that he works with every day as, as a debar- department director and that they're peers. And so that's a great example of how we get a bigger lift. We benefit the community, maybe in not a, a way that the public would even see. Again, we're not flying to, to the U.K. tomorrow. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to exchange goods. We're going to open the door to trade internationally to Tallahassee. Our business community is excited. The entire region is excited because it not doesn't just benefit Tallahassee. And it, it, it benefits our nine-county region. Well, you know, and it, it's funny because the interstate was built relatively far away from the airport, but by widening Capital Circle, it's really a hop and a skip to get out there now. And so it's nice and wide. It's very fast. It's about an eight, nine-minute drive to get there. So if I'm in, you know, Weewa or uh, Jackson County or Bay County, it's really not that far of, of, of a drive now that, you know, from that airport. So let's go back. I want to talk about what you're doing on 911 that came out of this uh, consolidated dispatch agency that is taking a different approach to 911. Because as somebody who works in the mental health field from time to time, we have one, a client that does that. This may be one of the most important things we're doing as a culture. Go on. Uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because I, I I believe in it deeply. We last year we initiated a proof of concept uh, that has worked um, just fantastically, but it's rooted in the premise of this cross department collaboration. My mayor John Daly was a champion for this, uh, and and gave us the runway. The city commission gave us the runway to work to create what we refer to as a team. Uh, it's it's a convenient acronym, but it's it's designed in mental health response. Uh, It it replaces or attempts to replace when someone is in a mental health crisis and their loved ones or their friends or their neighbors call 911. They're calling police when they call 911, generally speaking, because someone's having a mental health crisis. And we knew there had to be a better approach. Someone that's not in a traditional uniform with a gun and a badge, and that's, that may just result in an escalation of things that make matters worse. Yeah, if someone's having a nervous breakdown, I know that's not the term of art, uh, or a, a drug overdose, uh, or something that, d- that shouldn't require an arrest, but mental counseling, mental health, and mental uh, emergency you know, services, uh, sending in a police officer, no matter how well trained. And of course we do that, right? Now we want all of our law enforcement to not just know how to arrest people, how to pull somebody over, how to change a tire. You know, there's 87 things we ask police officers to do now. And of course, we're also adding in to be mental health experts and counselors. Uh, come on, you can only fit so many pounds of whatever into a bag, right? Absolutely. And so there, sometimes you adapt and you find new ways of doing things. And, and that's what we've done here. Let me describe it a little bit so, so yeah, everybody understands. So, so we, we know law enforcement has to be involved. We know that. But do they have to look traditional? Um, can they be disarming when they approach? We have a fire department that has 100 trained paramedics. We have medics. So when you're, when you're dealing in a mental health crisis, that's a medical emergency. And we've built a community resilience department 
that focuses on things ranging from housing to every need uh, a person may have. And so we combine those, join them with the entry point of the Consolidated Dispatch Agency, 911, um, to, to address what we estimate is up to 2,000 calls a year. That when the 911. That's, 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 that's three calls every single day that you're now answering with a mental health specialist as opposed to a cop. Absolutely. Now, that, now that does two things. One, it, it, it provides the service to the person in need of that service at the time they need that service. But secondly, yes, one less law enforcement officer, peacekeeper, as it were, somebody patrolling the streets that's not dealing with a, a, an emotional breakdown or something like that. But instead, they're staying on the streets, and it's the, the right people at the right time in the right place. It's the right people. And let, let me pull on that because I do want to underscore, and I think as, as, as managers and as administrators, we understand this, you've got to have the right person. So the structure could be great. You could sketch it out. You know, you write it out on a piece of paper, and you think, this makes a lot of sense. If you don't have the right people, then you're not going to be successful. And I will tell you, we've got, and I want to recognize him, Officer Stephen Britt, He's our lead police officer. He has a passion for this. And so he's helped us build a model of how you interact when you show up on scene. How, you know, how do you de-escalate and how do you actually achieve an outcome when you leave the person is, uh, you know, in, in a better mental state? They're not going to jail. They may not even be going to the hospital. You know, you've been able to de-escalate them, get them with the right resources because we have a mental health counselor with the team. Now, are they coming together, a police officer and a counselor, or is a count? You say, hey, this is they come as a team. Okay, so the nine one one doesn't have to make the decision A or B. They can say police officer only, or hey, you need to bring in mental health. So counselor. When, the, when we get the nine one one call, the the operator is trained to to listen for clues that this is a mental health crisis. And if they believe it's a mental health crisis, they dispatch this team of people that travel together in unison and have the full complement of resources of all these disciplines. And so, so they're not coming separately. There's no, uh, you know, uh, inefficiency of timing. And they collaborate and, and they work off of each other. They know their different skill sets. Now, I will say the first point of contact is the, the police officer. Again, he doesn't look like a normal police officer. He's in a polo shirt. He's badged. You know, you, you know he's a police officer, but he doesn't feel as threatening as someone that has, has you know, the Kevlar and the big vest and all the right. radios that's, hanging out his ear. Yeah, that's right. And in this this particular officer that started the program, the proof of concept really has a heart and a passion the, 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 for the, the what concept? Uh, the proof of concept. Uh, and so, really, it was a pilot. We wanted to try. It. Does it work? Okay. You know, so we have an idea. We think this makes sense. We know we're getting these kind of calls. We believe there's a better outcome than simply dispatching. Uh, a TPD how, how officer. How common is this? Is this are you guys like in the top ten percent of, of innovators on this, or is this is this becoming normalized around police departments around the country? I, no, I wouldn't say it's normalized, and, and but I I believe it is an emerging trend from my you know uh, vantage point. Uh, we're early in this. Uh, you know, the the constraint is resources. Uh, you know, city managers and county administrators and police chiefs and sheriffs. Uh, probably would like to do this. I will tell you that our Leon County Sheriff's Office is following suit. Um, you know, they serve the unincorporated area outside of TPD. They've seen it. They're following suit. And so as other agencies like mine, the Tallahassee Police Department and Fire Department, the city of Tallahassee collectively, demonstrate that this works, that it adds value to your community, that it alleviates pressure that the normal 
patrol officer would otherwise have to respond and results in a far greater outcome for your citizens, people adopting. So I know we're on the front and, side and, of and it. It's got to save money because if every visit and, and ends up in an arrest, the long tail of what that means for an arrest, for the impact of the family, but the cost to the community of putting somebody in jail, and then whether it's pretrial release or they go back to jail, and once you, you're in jail, your odds of returning to jail are high. Keeping someone out of jail hopefully keeps them as a productive citizen. And, you know, I, I will t- share a personal story. My son uh, was, was in a really bad way. Uh, turned out to be too much pressure from school. Was having, he, was, uh, he was a lunatic. I mean, he couldn't speak coherent sentences. Um, I called uh, the local ME. They sent out a mobile response team who they didn't Baker Act him, thankfully, so we didn't have a criminal uh, activity there. We didn't have to bring a cop out. He didn't get arrested. And he wasn't, wasn't doing anything criminal, but I could see, Reese, you know, 25 years ago, you call 911, it's either going to be a cop or a firefighter. So nothing's burning, so it's going to be a cop. That's right. And what, is, what are cops trained to do? They're trained to, now their training has gotten so exponentially more difficult and more complicated. And I say that with the most respect because we're, we're, we're trying to put all these things into police. And it's almost like you tore open the bag, got too much stuff stuff, and then it said, look, let's not have our police, you know, standard cop with the Kevlar vest also be a mental health counselor. Let's bring in cop that doesn't look like a cop and a mental health response team. And it ended up being a, a beautiful story on our end. Michael ended up, oops, graduating, a valedictorian from his college, is doing really well now. He's great. He's got a home and a great job. And so I can't, th- I, I, I shudder to think, had it gone the other way, what his life would have been like. Stephen, I'm glad that worked out. And um, that's, that's a great example. I mean, that's what we're trying to achieve because you could take one instance and de-escalate it quickly with the right people, or you could... You know, if you think about it, when a when a police officer interacts with you, you're high stress. You're not. You may be irrational, and it just results in a bad outcome for that individual. You talk just about the financial savings. There's no doubt about that, right? So if somebody gets engaged with the legal system, there's all kinds of ramifications and financial consequences. But but even and that's great, and and we look to be efficient all the time. But we also look to add greater value to our community. You know, what we do every day as, as leaders and, and public servants, is it adding value? Are we better today than we were yesterday? And I, I really like this program. I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to share it with you and others to think about it because this people call for law enforcement to evolve and to change. That's what this is. That's what this is. As we identify opportunities to be better, to change, to emerge, and take the resources that you have on staff, all these resources exist, and put them together. You know, I think I well, think these what, are the things we should do. And what triggered me on that was when you said, you know, some folks may not have the financial resources or the ability to do this. You know, the the cost savings is either today, this quarter, this year, or five years. And I think programs like this, if you look at at least a two, three, four, five year horizon, this is a money saver. I agree. In addition to a lifesaver, literally, uh, a life-changing, literally, 
it also will save the money for the city in the long run because every police officer that's sitting down holding a child's hand who's crying and needing counseling and waiting for the family to get that together, maybe take three, four, five hours, that police officer is not doing that. They're back on the street. That's one less police officer you have to hire. And so it's it's kind of a specialization of 911. Because remember, back in the day, 911, you know, wasn't, first of all, wasn't consolidated at all. I know it not in Tallahassee, but then it was, well, fire and police. And the dispatchers were trained, who do I send out? Now it should be fire, police, and or a mental health response. And that's what it is. That's right. That's fantastic. Real quick, we only got two minutes left. Give us the rundown on your idea for electric charging stations, because you were telling me this at a a, a reception the other day. I was fascinated by the innovation you're putting together. Yeah, I think um, when I describe it, I'm not sure it's it's as novel as I would like to think, but we we know we're headed rapidly to a a, a renewable energy future that involves electric vehicles. Uh, All of the major manufacturers have uh, doubled down on their investment in electric vehicles. They are starting to hit the roads. They are in the pipe to hit the roads. But we all know you've got to be able to fuel the vehicles. Uh, There's range anxiety of purchasers. And so we and the city commission has given me this authority. Uh, We have um, uh, embarked on a... Uh, plan to essentially replicate gas stations with fast charging uh, refueling stations. You, you know, you've, we've seen the Tesla stations at the, uh, along the interstate. Those are level three chargers. Um, there are, and level three would be the fastest charge. Uh, there is uh, lots of research underway and development to even increase the speed of chargers. And so we're headed down the path to add numerous, up to six, charging stations in Tallahassee that would be branded and imaged, and they would be a modern-day gas station, if you can think about that. Owned and run owned and run by the city they, of Tallahassee. They're going to be owned and run by the city of Tallahassee. And let me tell you the motivation. The motivation is to remove the barrier to entry of the inability for people to charge. Half of my, half of my residents in Tallahassee live in apartments or condominiums. They don't have ready access to simply put half. a charger. Half. And that's growing. And, that's and it, growing all across the country. It's growing. Density is being added. And so how do, you, how do you add charging? How do you eliminate the barrier to the future of an electric car, which is part of our renewable energy future? And so we're, we're taking the lead. I think it's going to be wildly successful. And you're talking about successful. putting them in shopping center parking lots. So I can go to the shopping center. Uh, I can park my vehicle. I can put it on the charging station, go pick up my groceries, be back in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then my car is fully charged. Now, of course, that's a great deal for the shopping center to, to lure people in, but because where you see them are at transfer points for the interstate, right? Because you talk about the anxiety about finding a, a place to charge. But this is a different approach, and it's not also you'll see, you know, you go to a, um, a, a, the St. John's Town Center, as that recently, and they have, you pull up, oh, there's a spot. Oh, that's electric charging station, station spot. This is a different approach. This is taking an existing parking lot, an area of the parking lot, probably far away from the, from the store, which, as we know, we overbuild our shopping center parking lots. There's, there's plenty of extra room there. And you put this in there, and you can get five or six. Well, you said it looks like a mushroom. That's right. And they put five or six cars there. I love what you're saying is it reduces the barrier to entry for people who live in an apartment. It's also really convenient. i got to tell you, when you were telling me this, because one of my concerns, I drive a lot, Okay. Uh, was that that anxiety? But wow, I'm also thinking I got to put one of these at my house. It's about three thousand dollars. You know, yada yada. 
But boom, stop in at, at, on the way to pick up the milk and the, and, the, and the cheese and the eggs, charge my vehicle. By the, by the time you're in and out, it'll be charged. Rarely will you be empty. And so by the time you're in and out for the gallon of milk, the dozen eggs, it'll be charged. And I'm extremely confident this will work. And people will see it. It's a visual thing. It'll have a canopy. This won't be a single little pedestal charger because, you know, we're psychological, emotional beings. We want to make sure that if we have an electric car, we can charge it. It's convenient. It doesn't take too long. And I will tell you, it won't be long before the charging speed even decreases. In other words, I can charge it faster than 20 minutes for a full charge. It won't be long, and we'll build these to future-proof them, but it is the door into an, a renewable energy future that involves electric cars. We've committed as an agency, as an organization, to convert our entire fleet to electric by 2035. We already have a third of our full-size bus fleet that's electric. They operate every day with electricity. And by the way, they charge in five to eight minutes, uh, so the charging speed can be there. Uh, God, that's and we're excited they just about stop this. Stop in, slide in, get charged, and you also have nothing but natural gas. Where they're not electric, they're natural gas. That's right. right. So we have gas. zero carbon footprint on our mass transit. Well, the natural gas still emits carbon oh, by, right. by way of its uh, combustion process, but it's much more friendly than diesel. Uh, and we're pressing hard to make sure that we're as, in, as environmentally friendly as we can be. Reese, this has been fantastic. And uh, and for those of you, uh, for those cities that um, sell electricity, uh, take note. <laughs> Reese, thank you very much. And we really appreciate you coming back for episode number 62, our first repeat guest. Folks, this is Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Thank you so much for being with us. <laughs>